Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Holy God, my Father, I thank you for who you are. Father, I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, in everything that you've given us. Father, it is because of you that we have the ability to say, it is well. Father, through the storm, through the challenges of life, it is well with my soul. Through the celebrations of new life, as Dan mentioned that we celebrate today, it is well with my soul. Through the grieving of life of a loved one, whether it be a parent, a brother, or a friend on the battlefield, it is well with my soul. Father, and it is able to be well with my soul because you are well within my soul. Father, we are in Christ. And because you are in us and we are united with you, no matter what challenges or storms or things may come our way, we can look in the eye of the storm and say it is well with me because we are in you. Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, the words that you've laid on my heart speak to your people. For it's not about me, it never has been. It's not about this preaching team or Dan or Matt or Chaplain Ellis or Vernon or any others. Father, it's about you and you alone. Father, may you be glorified. You've been glorified in prayer. You've been glorified through your scripture reading. You've been glorified in song. Father, let us now glorify you in the proclamation of your word. And then as we leave this place, Let us glorify you in the application of your word and live it among your people. For as one previous theologian said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are believers. Those who believe in Jesus with their hearts and then acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the doors of the church and then are put on by their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Father, let us not be a cause of atheism with our hypocrisy, but let us be a light to the world with a gospel that lives within us. Ask these things in order the name, the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ, all God's children said. Amen. You may be seated. So Dan mentioned that we have all these new babies in our church, and that's a beautiful thing to celebrate. But as I was standing there to the side, I was like, man, he's right. And I started counting the new babies, and I'm counting the time frame, and then I realized it's September. And if y'all can look back in our time, you would realize that about nine months ago, at the beginning of the year, we started a series called Love and Marriage and Sex, God's Way. So Dan, apparently whatever we're preaching is working quite well. So we'll just we'll just continue to preach on. Call it a win, right? So if you're having a new baby and you were here at chapel nine months ago, I guess you're welcome. I mean, <laughs> glad we could help. Uh, We moved on from connecting with our spouse and connecting with our Savior and connecting with the sinner and we're talking about connecting with our Savior with the I Am statements and we're talking about connecting with the family. The mystery revealed. Connecting with the community. The mystery revealed. If I had to title this sermon this morning, it would be Extreme Makeover, the Spiritual Edition. Right? The mystery of reconciliation and what it means to be reconciled unto Christ. In order to fully understand this, we have to have a little bit of a history, though. We have to kind of understand where we're coming from with the Jews and Gentiles. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, and if you're not there, go ahead and turn there because God's word's infinitely more important than mine. But 
But as you turn there and you think about what Ephesians 2, 11 through 14 is all about, it's pretty much about just Christ being our cornerstone and the foundation of our faith and what unites us in Christ. But see, during this time, you had two groups of people, and they were the only two groups of people that apparently mattered, and it was Jews or Gentiles, right? And it was Jews versus the Gentiles. It's like maybe a celebrity death match, if any of you remember that back in the day, right? And one group really didn't much care for the other. But when you understand the history of Israel and the Jews, God wanted the Israelites to be very distinct. And it goes back to the Old Testament. And when you look at the Old Testament, they were definitely very distinct. And so here in the text, in Ephesians, and Paul often talks about the idea of circumcision. And if you don't know what that is, that's fine. Ask your mom and dad, right? So the reality is, is it is a physical representation of how they were to be different. And the Israelites were to be distinct in two ways. One, God wanted the Israelites to be very distinct and noticeable that they were different and not look like other people or other cultures or other men. They wanted, he wanted them to be physically different in every way, shape, and form from the culture around them. The other way that he wanted them to be very distinct was for them to be amalgamated from other people. In other words, very strict and ceremonial laws that set them apart. And if you look at their laws in the Old Testament, in the Levitical law, you see a lot of laws, man. You see ceremony, you see marriage laws, you see who and can who and who can't enter the temple and at what times they can enter the holy holies and what they had to do to go through it. Laws for the priests, laws for this, there was a law for that, there was a law for everything. And I often get asked, so what about these laws in the Old Testament? And God was trying to set a standard for them to follow, or not trying, he set a standard for them to follow, which Quite frankly, they often fail to meet. Matter of fact, it's probably arguable that more times than not, they did not meet God's standard, which coming to the New Testament is the point of grace and the point of the cross because we need Christ. But the Jewish people were to use these distinctions, the fact that they were physically different, the fact that they did things different, they had different laws and different cultures and different customs. These were supposed to be a way for them to reach out to the world and evangelize. The whole idea from them being distinct from the rest of the world was that somebody would look at them and see there's something different about you. And I, brothers and sisters of Christ, I want to ask you something. What's different about you that the world can look at you and see? Maybe it's the way that you dress. I don't know if you've been to the beaches around here in Hawaii, but it's a beautiful place, right? It's a beautiful scenery, but sometimes the beaches you look and says that's not Christ honoring for sure. Right? I'm, I'm just calling a spade a spade, right? The way that we appear, the way that we dress, the way that we carry ourselves, we're supposed to look like Christians. And if somebody says that I'm different from the world or act different from the world or look different from everybody else, that's not always an insult. I'm supposed to be different. Sometimes I think the church with our styles of music and the styles of our worship and the way that we say things and the way that we dress, the way that we want to try to look so much like the world. But, well, sometimes the church, the church just looks so different from the rest of the world. That's kind of the point. Yeah. That's the whole point. I don't want this to look like a worship. Uh, uh, no, sorry, I do want it to look like worship. Backtrack. I don't want this to look like a concert. I don't want this to be the band that everybody comes up and 
and where, where our lead guitarist jumps off the back and you know, carry him down the aisle. We, we're, not, we're not shooting for that, right? We're not shooting for me or any of the other chaplains to come up and when we preach that you bring us your problems and your sins and the handicap and the lame and ask us to touch you on the forehead so that we can heal you because we're not capable. We want to be different from every faucet of the world because we want the church to look like what God has called it to be. And one of the things that God has called it to be is unified. Unified in Christ. I'm proud to be an American. Are you? Yeah? Change a little bit, right? We should be. Most all of us are pretty proud to be Americans. I would imagine there's not too many in a chapel congregation on Schofield Barracks in the military setting that wears a uniform daily and or has a spouse or loved one that wears a uniform daily that is not too proud to be an American. And I'm quite glad that being an American makes me look and act different. There's some things in American culture that I could do without. I'll be honest with you. We're not perfect. But the reality is, is there's advantages to being an American. I'm an American citizen and therefore I have certain rights. The Constitution, we've talked about the First and Second Amendment rights and all this stuff. Sonny and I are in the uh, process of PCSing out of here. We're kind of short timers. And so I have guns. I practice my Second Amendment right. And a lot of our stuff is going in long-term storage. And so we talked about, I really want my rifles or weapons and non-term storage and if so how do I get them home and how do I do so without going to the airport and ending up as an army chaplain on army WTF because he got arrested at the airport carrying a pistol the wrong way right so how do we do all this so you know but we have that right as an American a lot of countries don't we are rich as Americans and a lot of countries aren't and because we are Americans we are not better than the rest of the world but there's no denying that we're better off. You left an air-conditioned building to come here to an air-conditioned building with electricity. Many of you drove a vehicle here. Most of us here are not food insecure. I hope none of us are. And if any of you are, come see a chaplain. Maybe we can help with that. But we know where our next meals came from and where it's going. And even in the expensive economy, we know where it's come from. And most of America does have those benefits. We are very rich and blessed. But that does not make us better than the rest of the world, but we are better off. You're welcome. God has provided you and blessed you to be an American. I believe that. The Jewish culture was no different. They had a blessing on them. They had a blessing of God. But they had developed the mentality that they were better than the Gentiles. Not just better off because of the things that God had blessed them with, but they were better than the rest of the world. They had become very arrogant and prideful in the fact we keep the law as God has commanded us. Historically, you messed up pretty bad there, buddy. But we are God's chosen people. And it caused this divide. And they were divided. And the Gentiles like, hey, we, we saw Jesus too. And we confessed. And Jesus, well, he touched my, my cousin who was sick and lame. And now they are healed. Jesus did all these great things for us too. And the Jews continually thought they were better. They had misunderstood what God had called them to be. The fact that they were distinct was supposed to be a tool for evangelism and outreach. Your blessings and the things that God's given you and the blessings that God has given you are given to you by God for a purpose. Let us never forget that. Let us also not forget that this is a prison epistle. 
This is written by Paul while he is in jail. And here's some of the words that Paul, while he's being separated from the church, writes. He writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. He says, therefore, remember that formerly, emphasis on formerly, i.e. you used to be, formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. This is that physical difference. He says in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise of having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which was in the law of the commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Pause there at the end of verse 15. When he says one new man, I want you to understand the word new in the original Greek text is not new as in created out of nothing. It's not new as in something you've never seen before. The word is better translated complete. He has made you a, you are a new being because you are now a complete puzzle. Right? You are a new man. You are now complete because of your unification with Christ. He goes on in verse 16. He says, and might be reconciled them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you. This is from Isaiah. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. And through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Glory to God in the highest. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple of the Lord in whom you also were being built together into a dwelling of God the Spirit. Amen and amen. When he talks about the dwelling of God the Spirit, I'm going to get a little ahead here to kind of tell you where we're going with this. Every, if God is the cornerstone and Christ is the cornerstone and he talks about a temple being built with people, each and every one of us, having confessed with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, each and every one of us are a brick in that temple that God is building. And all of those bricks come together to make a beautiful building. One of the things I like to ask soldiers a whole lot, especially new soldiers, so if you, I would encourage you, especially especially if you're military, um, to come to our Wednesday meetings. It's the questions that we get asked are so basic. If you've been in four years or less, you can still probably answer most of their questions because they're 18, 19-year-old soldiers that are literally like, hey, does the nameplate go on the left or right? I know Drill Sergeant told me, but he was yelling at me, and I was a little nervous. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy some of the questions that we get, and it's kind of humbling for us chaplains to go, oh my gosh, they don't know nothing. And we're right, they don't know nothing. 
So some of the questions out there, it would be great for you to come. But one of the questions I always ask is, where are you from? And I get a variety of answers, California, New York, Midwest, whatever, Puerto Rico. And it's always interesting the way they respond, because when they respond where they're from, I'll say something along the lines of, what makes a Cali boy sign up for the Army? What makes a guy from Chicago sign up for the Army or a girl from Texas or whatever the case may be? And this past week, I, I kind of got an answer that threw me, threw me off a little bit. Says, what made you sign up for the army, young man? And one of the answers that I got was, sir, I was just born on the wrong side of the tracks. And I kind of knew where he was going with that, but being the inquisitive soul that I am, what do you mean, brother? Says, sir, I didn't have much of a choice in life. Like, it was a matter of choosing between what gang you wanted to join, and neither one exactly was a good road. I didn't have a strong household. My father was pushing me to go one way. My mother was never there or present. I just had to get out of there. It, it wasn't like life on the other side of the tracks is what he was saying. The good life and the bad life. Born on the wrong side of the tracks. And the army seemed, as he quote, to be the fastest way out to make a life for him and his fiance. By the way, sir, how do I get my fiance here? It's called a plane. Um, <laughs> and we kind of talked through that a little bit, though. I'm just as glad as he was to the fact that he found a way out. But it's also a reminder of the spiritual state that each of us here are and or war. In the time frame that we're reading about the Jews versus Gentiles, and the Jews have become so proud of the law that they had forgotten that the purpose of the law. And the Gentiles, well, they were just born on the wrong side of the tracks. And the goal was that Paul is talking about between these two groups of people is unity. There was so much separation. It's about build, This text is about taking down the walls and the fences that divide neighbors. There's so many things that we talk about that try to divide us. The wrong side of the tracks, the other side of the fence where the grass is greener, you don't look like me, racial division, political party division, rank division. And all of these things were creating division. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me ask you a question. What is creating division among us or with us in the world? What divides us? One of my favorite things about the chaplain corps is that those of us who have confessed with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, it really doesn't matter our denominational preference. Now, our submission to God matters. Your chaplains are endorsed by different people, some by the Southern Baptist Convention, Pentecostal, Seventh-day Adventist, whatever the case may be. But if we are unified in Christ, if we are unified in spirit, if we are one team, one fight, as the Army likes to say sometimes, I love the fact that Dan and I can disagree on some things. But the one thing that brings us together is our love for Jesus and our dedication and commitment to serve Him. And when we have some disagreements, and they have been there, me and Dan can work them out because we know that it's for the praise of His glory. Yeah. Unity. Not divided, but united. And how we are united matters. United in Christ. In the beginning of this text, in verse 11, it says, therefore, right? And one of the things that one of my professors used to tell me, it says, when you talk about the therefore, when you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to ask yourself a question. What's the therefore, therefore? Right? It's a foundation of understanding Scripture. Well, earlier we had talked about, we had learned that knowing God brings peace, right? 
You maybe remember uh, Chaplain Ellis saying, no God, no peace, or no God and you know peace. The whole point of it, and, he's, and the, the, the simplicity of it is beautiful because it's spot on. It's connecting us to God. They were alienated as Gentiles. And they were alienated in two different ways. There was a social alienation. You're not one of us. You don't look like us. You're not an officer, so you can't come to the officer's club. You're not an enlisted guy, so this is only enlisted personnel. It's that kind of social alienation where you don't meet the criteria to be among the Jewish people. In the temple that they worshipped in, right, in the temple that they've got, there's a temple where the Holy of Holies that nobody goes into except the high priest, and he only once a year or so when he does certain criteria. And then there's the temple of the Jews, the court of the Jewish men where the men could go. And beyond that is the court of the Gentiles. And there were guards at the gate like, you're a Gentile. You can't come in to the court of the Jews. Only we are closer to God. Hmm. Separation. It's a reminder of therefore, remember that you're formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, were called the uncircumcision. He's saying because that we had learned that through God there is unity. We were once without all of the hope. We were once without peace. We were once without in eternity. We were once without family or community or anything. And now that you are in Christ, you have all of these things. Let's look at some of the things that we wore in Scripture. He says in verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at that one time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were without a home. You were a man without a country. You did not belong because you were not there. You did not belong with us. You were not one of us. We didn't want you. You were without a hope. I need you to understand and put this in in light of our relationship to that of Jesus Christ. Look back before you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look at the community around you that is without that home, that is without that hope, that is without our God. And because they are without our God, they are without a hope, they are without a home, and they are also without a future. They don't have any of that because they are not united in Christ. However, you need to understand that doesn't make you better, maybe better off, because such were every one of you. Such was I. You were once in need of that salvation, and there's a community around us that is in dire need of that salvation. They are in dire need of the things that Christ can offer. When it talks about the, the it's going on in verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When it talks, uses that word, you were without God, right? And those who were once far off, that's a rabbinical term referring to the idea that they were apart from the true God. The same wording is used in Isaiah 57. We won't go there, but it's a historical coming from the... Uh, y'all are so far off. Y'all are far removed from God. I.e. the Holy of Holies, where God the Father was, the, the Trinity, where God sat on the Ark of the Covenant, right? This is where God is. On only the Holy Holies, the court of the priests, where the priests could go, but not even the Jewish men. The court of the Jewish men, and then the court of the Gentiles beyond that. 
You were so far off from God, you couldn't even glimpse into see the Holy of Holies because there's a curtain creating that separation between each of those courts. You can't see God. You were so far off, cut off and removed. But now in Christ, Paul talks about unity. They were without a future. Without Christ, there is no hope for an eternal commitment with Him. We need to understand that. I need you to understand that it is only through Christ. When Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father through me, it's, it's in the infinitive. It's, I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. No man has unity with God outside of Christ. This whole idea of coexist, we were talking with our preaching team, and I forgot which one said it, so I'll just give the preaching team credit. But when we were talking with our preaching teams, uh, they mentioned the term coexist. You've seen the sticker, right? The idea of coexist, and it's got different religious symbols where the O is the Buddhist wheel, the C is the crescent moon for the Islamic faith, the T is the cross. And the whole idea behind this coexist movement is, for some, it means just, hey, look, can we... Can we just get along and love each other? And the answer to that is without a doubt, yes. I have a brother, uh, I have a brother in arms that is of a different faith that I serve with, and he's a Buddhist. Some of you may know him. And I love my brother in arms with all my heart, mind, and soul. But I also need to understand that as a believer in Christ, that is not my brother in Christ, though I long for him to be. And I say that here, and I've said it to him. In love, and grace, and mercy. And we just smile and we go on. In that form, we can coexist. I want to be friends with Him. I want to be friendly to Him. I will go out to lunch with you. I'll be friends with you. Come to my house. All of these good things. You are part of the team. We serve the chaplain corps together. But one thing, let's get something straight. We are not unified in Christ. And therefore, your eternity is going to look significantly different than mine. It is the benefit of being in Christ. As in the benefits that you have as an American that you get, the freedom of speech that many people don't have, the right to bear arms that many countries don't have, the right to purchase land which many things don't have, all of these things that are benefits to you. Now, I'm not saying America is perfect by any way, shape, or form. And I'm not trying to make this political by any way, shape, or form. But you have to admit there's benefits that we have, right, that aren't extended out to others. But the reality of Christ is we have those benefits if we're in Him. And also, because we are blessed in Christ, we want to reach out to others so that they have those same benefits. And I'll say that same thing about America, too. I wish that all these other countries that are suffering could have many of the blessings that we do. And maybe we should think about how we can provide some of that or help with that. Because we do have a responsibility as those who are blessed to help those who are less blessed. We have a responsibility to share our faith with those who don't. Those, excuse me, those who are without home, those who are without hope, those who are without God, those who are without a future, they need that and they need you to be the light of the world. You know, it's interesting to me when we talk about what we are without. 
Science proves that we need some basic things for life. We need air, we need water, we need food, and we need light. These are the basic elements that we need to survive in life. When they look for evidence of life on other planets, that's what they look for. And it's interesting to me that before science became a big thing, Jesus talks about, I'm the breath of life, I'm the living water, I'm the bread of life. Everything that we are or everything that we need, God provides. Here's what we are. We are, or we have a new God. Now, your bulletin says we are, and then has fill-in-the-blank new God. I need you to understand that was an oversight on mine. We have a new God. We are not a new God. This is not Latter-day Saints or some other belief where you get to become God. He is creator. We are creation. But when we come into Him, we not only have a new relationship, we have a new God to follow. And you can either serve man or you can serve God, but you can't serve both. But you are going to serve one. When Paul, when you read the word servant in the New Testament, more times than not, the word there is used, doulos. And it's the doulos word means a slave. Now, when we read our English translation, we usually don't use the word slave. And they didn't want to use the word slave because all the negative connotations that go along with being a slave. And America has a jacked up history with that. They're not denying that. That's another message for another day. But when Paul talks about being a servant of God, it is better translated a slave of God. In other words, I have no choice but to do what my master, God the Father, has called me to do. I have submitted myself to you and to you alone. I am a voluntary, not only servant, because a servant may come and go. Is the pay good? I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. It doesn't work that way. If I serve God and God alone, I am His and His alone, and I serve Him. We have a new God. We are made a new creation, a new man, a complete man. Have you ever put a puzzle together, and then you find out that at the end of it you're missing a piece? Sonny and I did the other a while back. I'll say the other day. We don't do puzzles very often, but we had got a brand new one. Why do you get a brand new one? Because you want to make sure all the pieces are there so the little kids haven't lost them. So we put a puzzle together, and sure enough, we finish it, and there's a piece missing from the brand new puzzle. Now, maybe it fell off and the little robot vacuum got it. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to blame Luke. I think he ate it. But either way, the reality of the situation is we finished a puzzle, and it's missing, and it's not very satisfying at all. You could still see the whole picture. It wasn't even an important piece. It was a pretty much all black piece in the lower right-hand corner. So you still had all the picture, but it wasn't complete. When we are in Christ, He completes us. We are a new family. We've come into a new family of God. Dan is not only a friend, he is my brother. Cheryl is not only my friend, that is my sister. Your child is not only your child and your responsibility, it is mine. These new children that come into the fold, I feel as responsible as them as any other other chaplain. And I know that we don't get up at 2 o'clock in the morning with them. I know that we don't get up for the midnight feedings. But your child is my child. This is my family. This is my community. Back home, I've got baby Levi, one of my nephews that's recently born. He was born at 23 weeks gestation. So exceedingly, exceedingly preemie baby. And he's doing better. He's healthy. But I break every time they send in a text group an update of Levi. And sometimes my tears well up. And I've never laid eyes on this child other than pictures. But I hurt because that's my family. 
And when you hurt, Dan hurts. I've cried with these chaplains before over some of the challenges that you've brought to us because we are family. We have a new citizenship. Dr. Martin Luther King said something interesting years ago. He said during the 60s and segregation, he says the most segregated hour is the hour between, I believe he said, 10 and 11 o'clock on Sundays. Maybe I got the time wrong, but you get where I'm going with that. The most segregated hour is the hour where people are worshiping. And we segregate because of race during that time period. Because we couldn't worship together, there was no unity. As I look at this congregation, I see a plethora of old men like Dan, young men like me. I see a bunch of young women and older ladies. Not that I can tell that you're older. We, we, we won't go there. right? I see black, I see white, I see Jew and Gentile, if you would. Unified in Christ. What a beautiful picture. The bottom line is this. What we will be is eternally in His presence. It says dwelling, and that denotes a permanent home, a dwelling place. Not a temporary home like Sonny and I are about to move to. So going to C4 like it's a six-month PCS, and we're like, I'm not going to buy a house or rent a house. So we're going to get like live in an RV for six months, probably put the tins in a kent, kids in a tent because there's not enough room in the camper. It stinks for them, but that's okay. But it is a temporary dwelling place, and that's what gets us through that mentality. It is temporary. We will eventually be there. We will eventually be back in a house. We will eventually have a master bedroom again. We will eventually do whatever. Right? It is temporary. But when it talks about a dwelling place in this passage of Scripture, it's talking about an eternal presence with God the Father. Bottom line is God provides all that which we were lacking. No home, now we have a citizenship. No hope, you have a hope. No God, you are one in Christ. No future, you're going to live for eternity. No unity, you got a whole family. And all of that comes in Christ alone. Unified by breaking down the wall, pulling up the tracks, removing the fence, and with Him we are a new man, completing the puzzle. He's the centerpiece, the cornerstone, the piece that makes all the other pieces come together through Him. Let's never forget it. As we celebrate this unity in Christ, as we talk about this mystery of being reconciled unto Christ, the mystery revealed, such were some of you, such was I. But it is through the blood of Christ that brings us together and unifies us in spirit. So as we take communion, do it through the usual way. We'll come down the center aisle, take your communion and kind of break off and then back to your seats. Don't take it. We ask that we could take it together. Um, the, the, the bread and host are right there together. So what we want you to do is, like I said, grab it, take feast, and then we'll take communion together, signifying no other, and it just so worked out that this was on communion Sunday. What better representation of our unity through the blood of Christ? I think God's still working, right? Just like nine months ago, he was working to connect with your spouse. And now nine months later, we got some new babies. So it's working. Maybe nine months from now, Dan, we can even grow in our unity in this chapel. And some of these empty pews will be filled with some of the quote unquote Gentiles on the outsides of this chapel. Because that's our goal. He has set you apart for a purpose. Holy God, my Father, I thank you for all that you've done. Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. And Father, as we take these communion, as we take the elements together, Father, may everything that we do bring honor and glory to you. As your people come and we, we take the body that was sacrificed for us, and we take the, the juice in remembrance of the blood that was spilled for our sins, 
Father, may we be unified in the fact that, well, you died on the cross to bring that unity so that we can be unified in you for your glory, for your purpose, to the praise of your glory. Father, I ask all these things in the name of the name of my Savior Jesus, the Christ, and all God's children said, Amen.